My guest today is the general manager of Eastern Europe for Kaspersky. Here's what some of his colleagues say about him. Miroslav is a highly professional, acknowledged specialist with great leadership skills. Miroslav is an excellent sales guy who has not only the professional skills, but also the personal attributes on the human side, which are necessary to be highly credible. Miroslav Karen, you're very welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. And that was a really nice introduction, I must say. Thank you. It's all yours. It's on your LinkedIn. <laughs> it's really easy. It's all, it's all yours. I, I always think, I say to people, you know, when they hear this, I say, you know, we should go back and read our own LinkedIn profile sometimes. They're really nice sometimes, the things people say about us. And we, we often, because they come in spread out over time and you kind of see it and you might be busy and you accept it. You don't really kind of think through, actually, that was really nice of them to say that. And it, it speaks to who you are as, a, as an individual. And uh, there's some things I'd like to explore with you. But uh, tell me, you're based in Prague. Is that where you live? Yes, this is where I'm based and where I live. And this is basically okay. our central office in my job as well. Yeah. Okay. So tell me then a little bit about where you grew up and what kind of a childhood that was. Well, look, I, I grew up uh, still in the previous regime, which we had in Czechoslovakia, uh, in the countryside, uh, in a small industrial city. You know, the only interesting fact about the city, which you will also know, is that the, there was Giacomo Casanova, who spent the rest of his life there. Uh, you don't know the detail, but I mean, everybody knows uh, Giacomo Casanova. And basically, I think he seduced uh, somebody uh, who he was not supposed to, and they forced him to live in the castle in my hometown uh, until he dies, you know, until he died as a librarian, basically. So it was really interesting because we had, uh, uh, we had really bad uh, uh, air conditions. Uh, there was quite a lot of pollution because this was industrial and one of the poorest regions in the Czech Republic. Uh, there was also uh, there is also quite a big um, coal mine outside, just outside of my uh, you know former flat. So um, it was you know quite strange and poor childhood in a way. And uh, you know I always wanted to make it in the world and. Uh, be there for myself and, and, you know, make some kind of an impact. So that's why I decided once I was done with uh, the, uh, it was some kind of a liceum, so basically eight year uh, high school, uh, I moved to, to Prague to the university uh, and basically this changed my whole life. So I started working in Prague over there, but so, so, so my childhood, I'm not complaining it was good, uh, but there were low opportunities based on everything. Yeah, I'm curious because the, the picture I have in my head is almost Dickensian. You have these coal mines where I'm guessing it would be mostly men who would have spent their, all their days down underground developing lung conditions and you know, bad health as a result of breathing in coal all the time. And then they come up for air. And then they have all of these factories belching out fumes that you had bad air quality. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that not too many people lived into their 80s and 90s. And I'm wondering um, what sort of impact that might have had on the culture you grew up in, the local culture 
when you have that highly industrialized, unhealthy environment? Well, yeah, for sure, there were uh, quite often some limitations that we were not even able to go outside because of the smog. Uh, and uh, uh, also, well, by the way, we are talking about not the uh, black coal, but about the brown coal, which is uh, which is uh, dig dug out on the ground. So you have these big holes, open wide areas with these massive excavators. And you see it even from your window, you know, it's like uh, some kind of a dystopia from a different world. The situation yeah. has improved a little bit, but uh, still those were those were the times. And even, you know, the communists were able to demolish a baroque hospital just to get uh, just to get to some small piece of coal underneath, you know, and they realized wow. they made a mistake. So everything was basically um, done in focus of the industry so you have you see people around you who are waking up at ungodly hours uh, starting their shifts at six i also by the way uh, you are allowed to work uh, on some kind of a special contract since you are 15. so i needed some extra money for internet uh, that was the dial-up times and it was very costly especially in the rush hour to connect so i also mm. worked in a glass factory uh, where we did uh, 12,000 glasses per shift. It was 12-hour shifts, uh, and basically those were the wine glasses. And uh, it was sometimes very stressful because when the conveyor belt uh, was running, and they will not stop the factory because you make a mistake. So these glasses were just running, and once you couldn't even like fold the box properly, then they started falling down and breaking. So, you know, I have some experiences from, from these kinds of environments myself as well. But what basically, is, as you asked about the specific culture and stuff like that, uh, people are quite close-minded over there. And basically, who stays over there is still remains the same. You know, they have low-paying jobs. Uh, they don't have any, like, worldwide uh, overview or, or kind of a high-level view on the world. They don't have uh, any other opinions than their own. They just stick. Uh, they, they don't want to explore or anything. So it was strange. And also, there are not many, like, events happening uh, and so on. So, so it's not... Uh, it's not really the best place to live, at the, you know, in the country. Mm. I, and I have these images, and I promise we'll, we'll, we'll talk about work and things like that in a moment. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm almost fascinated by the the contrast in lifestyles that existed underneath the surface, especially throughout Europe, back in you know the 70s and 80s, um, and that industrialization where people didn't matter as much it was all about production units getting it out and what struck me was when you were talking about the the glasses was that we had a, an industry in ireland who was waterford crystal so these were highly skilled professional you know uh, uh, blown glass crystal glass and that it's this march of we need stuff cheaper we need stuff cheaper then it's outsourced to a place where it, it is cheaper. But what we don't see are the conditions that produce cheaper. And that the people who are buying this are completely oblivious and probably uncaring and they don't give a damn. And that's not, by the way, anything to do with um, a, a specific geography. It's exactly the same today 
as it was 20, 30, 40 years ago in certain parts of the world where we get our iPhones and our, our clothes and we pay no attention to the conditions. In fact, we probably don't want to know. And, and I think it speaks to the human condition. There's something in us that's uh, quite selfish, I think, in a way. And, and, and I was just wondering if you've ever had any thoughts on that, having experienced it firsthand, and now you're looking at life through a very different lens, a much more, um, I guess, Western uh, capitalistic lens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you are right. Look, uh, it depends on how uh, far the society pushes this. Like, uh, I don't agree with any anything that's happening, for example, in China nowadays, or or maybe India, Bang Bangalore, or whatever, where where they. Uh, they force the child child labor, some strange work conditions. The pollution is even worse for us in that times. Of course, the I mean the communist regime did not care about uh, anything. Usually, people, as you say, they were just numbers. Then it changed a little bit in the beginning of the nineties. Um, but still, I was happy at the time that I had mm. a job which was. Um, which which paid me some okay money. I even did uh, night shifts because they were with extra fees. So for me at that time as a teenager, I was happy that I could get something, uh, mm. although it was stressful. Now of course I um, I'm you know these things move uh, further to the east and um, I don't like it in in general. Mm. I think we should also focus more on. Uh, adding some value also to this mm. because in in some cases for example even for the Czech Republic we have big uh, for example factory of Foxconn and we are making HPE servers but it seems still like that we are just assembling stuff together without adding any additional value mm. and this mm. is what I was what I don't like you know I think people in these locations they are happy that they have some kind of a job uh, mm. they are forced on one side also to do the job because they need to buy some food, but oh. uh, of course there should be some limitations. This okay. is impossible. So what I'm, what I'm fascinated by what you're saying also I heard in there, Miroslav, was the fact that even though you, you, you had very little, that you were also quite happy that, that having to work to earn money to get some internet, you know, buy, buy some internet credits, um, in that situation that what I'm hearing is that we all have this capacity for happiness, no matter what our circumstances are. Now, obviously there's exceptions, you know, if, 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 if you have a loved one who's sick or a child who's, you know, I can't imagine what, well, I, I can't imagine, I do know what that's like. And um, so I'm not talking about those specific situations, I'm just talking about our life circumstances, that we can be in situations where you know, the general air quality we live in is poor and that we don't have a lot of money, but we can still be happy. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I Especially, think there's some parallels with the last couple of years that we've the pandemic in terms of restrictions things as well, that we, 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 we can still have, if we can frame it the right way, have a capacity to just be content. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Because, you know, you are born as a child somewhere and... Um, you know, you don't know the other conditions. So you live in the conditions which you have around you and you try to make uh, the most of it, basically. And what I learned during these experiences, because it was no, not only the glass factory where I worked, uh, there were other other things uh, like, I don't know, typical stuff like when you are 
cutting some grass and cleaning some kind of uh, natural area because it was protected. So there were better jobs uh, from time to time. But uh, what I learned is that, uh, and, and it came later a little bit, I don't, I was not fit for these jobs. Although I, I did a good job, I didn't like the fact that you are working somewhere and you are just counting hours when you can come home. So when we had the summertime change, uh, it was the best shift ever because from 2 a.m. to 3, you just skipped an hour. So I was happy to work there, you know, even though we got paid only 11 hours at that night, but it was faster for me. And this is how I don't want to spend my life. I don't want to do something that uh, I don't like, you know, that I'm just sitting there and, ah, is it 12? Uh, already okay I can go to lunch I can skip one hour more you know it doesn't make any sense our life is too short to spend it on things which don't make us happy uh, of course I understand sometimes you don't have better choice you have a I don't know good paying job for example which you don't like that much so there are uh, some pros and cons of everything but in general uh, and you know I have the uh, I can quote even, not exactly, but uh, Ricky Gervais, the famous uh, UK uh, or the British comedian, he's uh, a promoter, I would say, of atheism. This is for us, especially in the Czech Republic, where we were under influence. Maybe it comes from the communism where they don't allow any religions or anything. But uh, basically, I'm also an atheist. So it's hard for me to understand that there could be some afterlife. So for me, this is the time which I have on Earth and I need to spend it the best way possible. So that's why, uh, of course, you don't think like that when you are a teenager, but then later on, that's why I wanted to basically chase every opportunity, grow, learn stuff, you know, become a better person in general. Of course, I make mistakes and I made a lot of them in the past. I try to learn from them, but this is something that forces me to, um, to progress in life. And when I mm. look back at the childhood, at the childhood, when I could, our family could not afford for me to have jeans to go to school. So I was going in some kind of a sweatpants and mm. some kids were laughing. Now I look at it and this is totally different world, different perspective. It's, it's really yeah. interesting to look back, but I don't regret anything. I'm happy about how it all went. What's better for you now that you can say this is a much better situation? Well, of course, you, you know, you always have to think about money, but money is not everything in life. Uh, there are other things, happiness, and the most important for me is, you know, I, I have a happy family. Uh, I am, you know, I have good relationships in, uh, in my life. Uh, but basically, also, that what's better for me is that life is not boring. You know, there are so many uh, things which you can do. Uh, Traveling, of course, is now a little bit uh, limited, but um, I can, I can, uh, you know, I am basically happy in in general. So I don't know. Mm. Uh, yeah, th that's probably it. Mm. Uh, that I can, I can explore, I can learn. I am feeding my brain with new ideas, you know, and stuff like that. The the world is much uh, more opportunistic for me than it was before. So that's what I need. Which would you say was a greater influence on the choices you've made in life? The environment you grew up in or the people in your lives, in your life, I should say, when you grew up? Mm, I think, I think kind of both. But when I was, uh, when I was younger, 
I did not have so many people to look up to. I don't know why. I don't want to be uh, too bad. I don't know about my father or, or stuff like that. But basically, it was mostly the environment. I wanted to escape the environment and find better life in, in Prague. Which I did, uh, but then once I joined uh, and I started, uh, once I moved to Prague and I started to see uh, the other people and so on, there were some people that I looked up to, and uh, I wanted to uh, improve myself and and grow. But in the beginnings, of course, those were the biggest uh, influencers in the IT industry, uh, like Larry Ellison and people like that which provided me with some kind of an inspiration but you see it in the environments you join a company as some kind of a junior who is 20 years old and you see that uh, there is a ceo hey, he does this he does that and at that time you are a bit envious maybe and you want to push yourself to uh, be in this this person's shoes in some time so basically this only like fed my ambitions mm. in a way I see, of course, there are disadvantages of these positions. Like I see it now, for example, uh, the stress is sometimes really hard, and and you know there are some political games in in every company, and there are some aspects which, of course, I don't like. But mm. you know, at least those, those, this was the motivation to for the ambition. Mm. You touched on atheism a moment ago, and I had a question for you on that. Yeah. Um, because it. I, I can imagine there's huge comfort in believing that there's an afterlife. Now, the people who sell me on the fact that, well, you get to meet your family in the afterlife, uh, that doesn't sell me on anything, right? I want to be where the fun people are. <laughs> however, yeah. however, I, I too am an atheist. And there, there is this, again, it's a nice idea, but it's hard to believe in it if it's just not in you, right? But then the, the, the alternative to that is that when we die, it's just eternal abyss. There's nothing there. It's not even like before you were born because, you know, you weren't born in 1960, for example. So, but you have some comprehension. You, you have some idea. You can, you can imagine conceptually 1960 and what was happening, right? So you have that capacity. But when you're dead, that doesn't exist. It's like nothingness. That can be scary. Now, on the other hand, which is what you touched on, is the idea that actually believing that means that your focus has to be on this life, that there's no reward. There's nothing. And also, there's, there's no reason to uh, hold back and deny yourself because you're looking for special rewards in, in some other life. It's like you're saving up to be rewarded, right? It's, it's all about now. And that in itself can be quite liberating. That's my sense of it. And I'm just curious to what you think about those two, the dualities of one which is kind of terrifying and the other one is quite liberating. Oh yeah, well, I, I am now more thinking about the scary side because it's hard for me to, to imagine the emptiness, the void that there is nothing yeah. and you will never uh, have any information about anything. You just disappear forever. You know, I heard a nice opinion that you wouldn't care when this happens. So this calms me down a little bit. But uh, on the other hand, you know, I, I am quite a big fan of uh, astronomy and I, I study uh, or study, I read things about cosmology and how space was created. Uh, on the other hand, 
it's still strange for me because we cannot prove this. So I was now really happy when they launched the uh, James Webb uh, Space Telescope. But uh, basically, there had to be something before the universe was created. If we go with this theory that there, there was a Big Bang, uh, but where did it originate from? What's, you know, there are so many open questions which I will never find uh, the answers to in my life. So uh, this is hard for me. So in, in, in a way, I'm kind of hoping that there is something higher or bigger, uh, but I cannot convince myself that there is because I believe in science. Uh, and uh, so on one thing, it's, it's more scary for me and it's, it's, it puts some kind of a long-term permanent stress in my head that I have to achieve something. I have to do the best. I have to be a good person because you can also take it in a different uh, perspective. You can take it at this is the last day on earth, although it's multiple days and you could do whatever, you know, you could do crazy, crazy stuff buy buy crazy things. And you do, you don't have to be kind and stuff like that because life is short and who cares, but still I want to be a good person. So I, you know, I'm, I'm basically maybe motivated by the short time in the end. Mm. Yeah, I, I watched a yeah. presentation by some astronomer. I can't remember his name. He's quite a popular guy. You'd know who I'm talking about. And he was said there was a picture taken by the Hubble telescope of the night sky. And he said, imagine a 10 cent coin 25 meters away and holding, you're holding that, so 25 meters away, there's this tensor, you, could, you couldn't even see that, right? But that's in the night sky, and he says, when you look into that, it was billions and billions of light years away, so much so that the light that's arriving for that now started, started before the Earth ever existed. And also within that five cent piece uh, size, there was, I don't know how many millions of galaxies that he mm -hmm. was pointing to, and each galaxy, had millions of stars in it and it's just you just your brain can't you just can't conceptualize it it's just too much yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. that's why i i believe that we are not alone in the universe but that's a different conversation it's just yeah. that basically we are uh, that the universe is just too big and we cannot contact anyone you know yeah. i i saw that it was measured how far we got with the radio signal for example yeah. and you know we are nowhere and we are still inside of our own galaxy and then you if you yeah. see that there are millions and millions of galaxies everywhere stars solar systems or whatever it's 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 really interesting and I'm glad that I was born in these times when we can explore it. On the other hand, if it was 200 years later and I could see maybe some, you know, a further exploration, it would be interesting. But uh, mm. maybe we will provide uh, some answers later on as maybe. a society. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this is um, difficult because I don't have any uh, optimistic views on this, unfortunately. Uh. Let's talk yeah. a bit about more optimistic stuff. Let's talk a little yeah. bit about yeah. work and stuff. Uh, I noticed in some of the testimonials people gave, they talk about you as a salesperson and then as a manager. Talk to me about that transition from one to the other. What was that like for you? What challenges did you experience and what lessons did you learn as a result? You know, my uh, one of my 
challenges which which uh, was and is still uh, with me uh, through my career uh, is that I am young for the positions that I'm doing uh, because I, I started when I was 20 and I did the universities in parallel uh, to the job so I have like five uh, years advantage compared to some some people in this in this scenario so when I transitioned to manager it was in 2010 in Oracle actually uh, and uh, it was very fast. I, 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 I started as a sales guy for a couple of months uh, and then uh, I moved to a team leader position. And at that time I was like 24, 25. So uh, the problem was that I had people who were 40 uh, who I needed to manage. They needed to respect me in a way uh, and uh, I am not this kind of a person that would force uh, and like a dictatorship or some kind of authority over people I am more uh, supportive uh, trying to lead them uh, you know tr trying to help where, where I can and listen and fix the issues uh, so that yeah. we can sell better uh, so that was one of the one of the things and again it's still here all the other general managers in Kaspersky are older than me so I always have to prove myself that I am the young guy who is inexperienced and doesn't know anything and the other thing is that when I transitioned to the manager I had people who were my former colleagues so this is always harder if you work with the same guys and they see you being promoted to their mm -hmm. manager Mm -hmm. So this is hard, especially, and also if you consider the fact with the age in it, it's always uh, tough to to learn the respect. But basically what I did, and this is what I'm doing, uh, is that, uh, as, again, I, I am listening to people, I am trying to help them. Of course, if I see some low performers, I try to fix them uh, and then unfortunately replace them from time to time. But uh, this is, I think, how I'm learning the or how, how I'm getting some kind of a respect because I'm really chasing the problems um, or some issues uh, and I'm really trying to fix them and I'm, I'm I have an honest approach so if I don't like something I tell it how it is I don't like to play any games and so on so it's just with, with I don't know I speak naturally with people uh, so you know this is how I basically manage the transition I think mm. it did not like go up in my head that I would become arrogant or, you know, or something. I, I still st stay down to earth and I sp speak with people as normal people. So maybe that's why I read or, or you read these kind words. Mm. Is, has, has that dissipated, gone away somewhat now that you're a little bit older and that you have a strong, you know, what is it now, nearly 12 years since your first management position? that you've got that track record. I'm just wondering, does it go away or are you always seen as the young guy? A little bit, yes. I, I am still a little bit seen as the young yeah. guy because still in my team, I have people who are uh, 10 years or eight to 10 years younger than me, not all of them. So it's still there, but when they see, so, so of course it was harder when I joined Kaspersky three years ago, uh, I was coming as the young guy. And these guys who had longer careers were not promoted internally and there was an external hire. So this again creates some kind of a pressure. But when I, when I came there and I started to listen, I didn't uh, force something on them. I, I, learned, I earned the respect and, and now it's, it's all fine. The mm. fact that I am young, uh, still, um, I it, I still have a lot of energy, passion, and motivation. 
to achieve mm. something, which is, mm. uh, on the other hand, my advantage. Mm. I, I do have an answer, by the way, for the on the on the age thing. It's this: if you could just go out like I do, my hair is naturally black, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it never was black ever. <laughs> it used I to don't be remember used to be blonde, but no, no. When, when I was nine, <laughs> that's when it was blonde. <laughs> <laughs> no, but when I saw you in 2010 in, in Dublin, you had uh, longer hair, but the same color, basically. So yeah. yeah, I just got, and it wasn't that much longer. It was maybe less than a centimeter longer, but even that was too long for me. It was just, to me, this is a productivity hack. And that I have not been to a barber in, I don't know, over, over 10 years. And I get out of the shower and my hair is dry in minutes I, I just wipe with the towel and it's done so it's 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 a time saver now that's not why i do it <laughs> i have no <laughs> yeah. choice <laughs> but i'm looking at the positive side and also i was advised by the way many many years ago when i it's choice to, I, i'm doing this now in standard 20 years this year and when i joined first i also had gray hair so it wasn't an issue for me but i remember one of the 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 senior guys who had been in standard a long time saying that when you come into the business that people look at you, and if you look young, their perception is you, you can't know very much. You can't be very experienced because mm -hmm. you look young. And this guy was kind of half joking, half serious, said, get some gray hair. That when people see you look older, they automatically assume that you have more experience, more knowledge, more expertise, which of course is nonsense as we know. But it's funny people's perceptions that's true that's true i still i i got something you know uh, already but that's okay. from yeah but on the other hand this was also harder uh, to doing uh, business actually when i was just a sales guy that you are coming to a company there is a cio who is uh, i don't know 50 he knows mm -hmm. everything he knows his own stuff he knows the business he knows it and everything and you are coming there you are 23 uh, and you have to convince him or her that you are bringing some kind of an advice. You are just not uh, a simple salesman who just want to sell stuff and get his bonus. You yeah. uh, you know, I, I had to be an advisor to these people and create some kind of relationships. So yeah. that was also providing more difficulty. But on the other hand, uh, again, what was what I could say that help, helped me with this is to have some kind of an integrity, deliver on the promises, uh, do everything I could when when they ask something, support them. If they wanted, of course, there were some negotiations, but if they wanted something extra or some kind of extra discount to go with it and basically uh, to be the person they can trust and they can rely on. But it took a longer period of time. So the first impression was maybe a little bit harder to uh, to do uh, mm. but then over time it was okay mm. on the other hand maybe it helps if you think about it uh, maybe it helped me um, to you know develop to, to focus more on myself yeah. and when I had it a little bit more difficult I had to try harder yeah so it helped me grow yeah probably and we forget that when you're younger you have something that typically that's not universally true but for people, as you say, 50 plus, and I'm certainly in that bracket, is you have an energy and enthusiasm for getting on with things that you, that tends to wane a little bit over time. And that if you can bring that, as you said, to the party, that you that that you can play on that as an advantage for sure. Mm -hmm. um, 
But you know, I wanted to ask you about when you think about what life is like for you now, both professionally and personally, what what's inspiring you the most? Hmm, oh, that's kind of hard to, uh, hard to answer in a way. You know, um, my current inspiration, hmm, I think I, I'm trying to find it somehow in myself in a way. I don't, I don't uh, look up to any people that I would follow, that I would, I would read. I, I'm reading stuff, but I mean, like, I'm trying to make my own opinion. So I'm trying to read different, uh, different views on some different aspects. Now in the pandemic, there were many topics where, where like this. But uh, what in, maybe what is inspiring for me are the people who who made it uh, with their own business, the startups and, and, and so on. So because this is for me, and I speak publicly now, uh, but still, uh, this is probably some, some kind of, a, of my future, I think. Because again, as we think about it, uh, I worked for uh, companies my entire career. Uh, some of them were really big corporations uh, like Oracle or SAP or Capgemini. Uh, but now I tend to go to smaller companies where I can usually function as some kind of an entrepreneur on easy difficulty that they provide you with salary, marketing money, uh, some team and, and so on and products, which is the most important probably. Uh, but on the other hand, as I, as I mentioned, the life is too short. So if I don't try at least to do some kind of a startup and be successful with my own business, I will regret it when I retire. So maybe if this is if this can count as some kind of an inspiration, but this is not that I would I would leave my job tomorrow and start, but this is maybe a long term plan mm. to go for it. On the other hand, uh, if I wait too long, it will be too late, maybe. And mm. I'm, I'm wondering what's driving that. Is it because uh, I, I, I'm. I don't know what age you are. What age are you now? 37. 37. Well, it's funny. 30, I was 37 when I left the corporate world to start my own business. Um, that, that's 20 years ago. <laughs> so I, I know for me it was about what I perceived as freedom, that I didn't have the constraints of other people's goals. I could mm -hmm. work on my own. But it's you're you're actually you're you're swapping. So you, you do get you you do get a certain type of freedoms. You get to make make your own mistakes. You get to make your own decisions, and and there's freedom in that for sure. And if you you decide whether you want to go on holidays or if you want to take a day off, mm -hmm. but you're you're not really free either because mm -hmm. when you've got clients, you you work for them, and therefore. There's a kind of a mirage that, that, that drew me in, that I was perceiving this was what I really wanted. And, and I know there's some truth in that, but in reality, what you're getting is not what you wanted. And I'm just curious to know what's behind your drive towards having your own startup. As I said, for me, it was freedom, which really wasn't what I got. And I'm curious if yours is different, and if so, what is it? Mm -hmm. Well, it's basically being uh, in control of uh, my own life, my own business, although, although I expect to be even busier than I am now, uh, especially in the beginnings, but I don't think it stops uh, later on. Mm. Um, the other thing is uh, that I think uh, 
if I, if it's just me making the decisions, maybe with some kind of a partner, I sometimes feel that I could do it better than what I see in the companies, because there are some political games in the top management in every company, and they based their decisions on that, or they make some wrong decisions. I could also make my wrong decisions, but it will be my decisions. So just my own self drive and motivation, and I think I have enough experience to build something up. So also the creation of some kind of a you know like another child maybe i i could say uh that you you created this uh, this, this is uh, you know it's not uh you know what i mean you you've done it and you you are successful with it but of course there will be things which i would not like there will be things uh, that uh, won't make me happy but these are the obstacles uh in the business which you have to take to to be successful so i'm wondering if there's a connection there between that and atheism as in that there's, there can be a drive there to create something that lives on after you, that if you believe that when you go, that's it, you're gone. But if you create something that lives after you, that you leave something behind, then, mm -hmm. then, it, then it doesn't end when it ends, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 you are right. That's uh, partially true as well. And also, again, as I mentioned, life is too short, so we have to try this so that that's that's also uh one of the reasons where you mm. can connect it to atheism mm. so yeah you, yeah i think you are right yeah. you said you're reading a lot uh what are you reading that's making an impression on you uh well i'm not reading too many books which which are uh like management advices and uh, corporate stuff. Uh, recently, I, I read uh, Four Hour Work Week, which is, you know, very, very famous, but it's still an, an illusion. Some, an illusion. Yeah, <laughs> illusion. You take, you take some, some stuff, it's just interesting. But in general, um, I, I like uh, post apocalyptic books uh from sci-fi and and so on maybe there are some of them even visible behind me on <laughs> over there mm. so um because i don't know i just like the alternate uh, realities alternative worlds so for example i like to read about uh, north korea because it's a different world it's like a sci-fi which has some uh, real life roots um it's it's scary it's it's tough uh for for the people and everything but for me it's like another world, uh, another reality. And this is the same with, with the post-apocalyptic books, which I like, you know, there are interesting, there are interesting ones like, uh, I don't know, Metro, for example, it's a Russian author, Dmitry Glukovsky, who created this. There were even computer games originated based on the story. Uh, there, is, there is another one which, which is called uh, Silo. It is a trilogy where they basically, the world is destroyed, so they, uh, and people live in big silos underground with multiple stories. So these kinds of books, which just provide some alternative view on on the world, basically. Mm. This is interesting for, for uh, me. What is it in you, do you think, at some psychological level that's drawn to looking at these alternative realities? Yeah, this is a psychological question, a nice one. Uh, I... <laughs> I don't know, maybe the fact that I will not have the opportunity to experience them, not that I would want it, but there is something like mystical or magical. It's like if you are watching a prison movie, it's also a different world, basically, where the prisoners are living in and you will probably not have a you know, chance to be there. 
they these people have totally different environment, different conditions. They have to adapt to a certain reality around them. Uh, so this is always interesting. Mm. I don't know why I'm drawn to this that much. Mm. I think it's a very human thing. For example, I would love to stand and look at a volcano and there's something about it that, you know, an erupting volcano, uh, mm. obviously not in full eruption, but, you know, you see those and you look down into the cavity and you see the bubbles of lava bubbling away, this red hot. And there's a fascination with that, that you can go so close but no further and you want to see how close you can get before you have to turn back. And, and I think there's something very human in that, that we're kind of pushing our boundaries. And maybe it's the same when you look into these other uh, kind of maybe pseudo dystopian places, mm. whether that's a real life place like North Korea or maybe some futuristic world that doesn't exist yet, is that there's a, a sense of you're looking at something that's there's a curiosity about it. And you want to see how close I can get to it, but then you can close the book and know that you can go back. It's safe. Mm -hmm. I think and it's very also, human. Also, there is this, yeah, there is this also aspect that uh, you could not influence who you are and where you have been born, basically. So mm. I could have been born in North Korea. I could have been born, I don't know, 300 years ago and die during the childhood. I could have been born in the alternative reality. So. Uh, like live in a silo somewhere. Yeah. This is like you appear in the world out of nowhere and this is where you are. This is the reality. Yeah. So there are these interesting thoughts in yeah. my head. Is, now is The Matrix then your favorite movie? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I would say at least the first part is yeah. for sure. But I like, yeah. for example, uh, 12 Monkeys, if you remember with uh, Brad Pitt, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis travels back in time to solve a pandemic which happened in the future. That's uh, also interesting, especially if you see it now. Uh, yeah. But uh, I think also there is a chance that we are aiming to be partially in the Matrix. Because, you know, I, I heard, heard recently a podcast with Elon Musk where he was mentioning that we are already cyborgs. Because everyone has a device attached to their hand all the time and it's connected with everything, you know, your personal life, your data, everything that you, that describes you as a person depends on how, how much do you share, but you share, usually everybody shares everything. And then if you see that, for example, there was the announcement of Metaverse from Facebook where they want to create an alternative reality with the uh, cryptocurrencies mm. and, uh, you know, you live in a virtual world. It looks like Matrix in mm. a way to me. So mm. maybe we are aiming towards that in the future. And I just hope that people will be strong enough that they will go outside and climb the trees as kids and not be stuck to their phones. So I, I hope there will be this kind of a movement. And but, you know, something yeah. else you just said that about kids climbing trees, that's something that's even discouraged nowadays because of safetyism, everybody is, oh, so you can't do that, it's safe. And you're kind of thinking, no, that's how we learned to take on challenges. That's how we learn to make calculated risks. That's how we learn to skin our knees, break our bones and recover. And yeah. you take that away and you're, you are creating, uh, I, I don't like it either, Paul, because mm. you see a lot of teenagers or young younger than teenagers sometimes, that they are spending their time uh, in malls, uh, just going Ooh. around, not not even shopping with a purpose, they just go. And uh, instead of being outside, doing something interesting, some, you know, 
kind of a sports or, or some kind of challenges. It's it's really strange. Mm. And they start with um, mobile phones and tablets mm. uh, in younger and younger ages, especially now with the pandemic, it uh, turned things around and it sped things up. Uh, so, yeah, mm. I don't like it. I, I'm happy that we were able to, to yeah. do the stuff we did. For sure, uh, 100%. Listen, you said earlier that you went yeah. to college and worked in parallel. And then you mentioned a moment ago that, you know, what Elon Musk says, they were all going around with these devices in their hands. And it's true, like every piece of knowledge you could ever want in the universe, sorry, on Earth, that's been written <laughs> is, is, is accessible in your hand right now. Hmm. And does that... I'm just curious to know what you think about the role of third-level colleges, universities. Are they, are they relevant anymore? Like, you were able to get an early start and get real-world experience without the college. You did college, in, you know, in part-time. But even that was a while ago. Now, with, like, no matter what question I want answered, if I have a, a rattle in my car... I can go on YouTube and look it up and describe it, and somebody will have created a video on what you need to do. Now, I know that's a very practical thing, but you could take that into IT. For example, if I want to learn Python, I can go online. I don't need to go to university to learn how to code in Python, for example. And just wondering, is there a role for universities, or are they irrelevant? Oh, for sure they are not uh, not irrelevant because you still need to develop your uh, mental skills, your logic. Uh, you still need to do... Look, we, we did some uh, crazy math. Uh, like I remember, uh, was it called Laplace transformation where we calculated electrical circuits with this? I'd never used this in my life. But still, uh, the, it forced me to think and it, it helped me boost my uh, logical thinking and, and everything. So for sure, uh, universities uh, are absolutely necessary. They just need to adapt uh, to be more more modern uh, to to fit the needs because still you could see some graduates nowadays who are not that very strong. Uh, and the quality in general, what I see is that we always lack resources, for example, in IT. Um, so uh, it does not, it does not, th th there are people who are not that good after they come out of university than it was before. There are more people allowed to, to study, which is good. Uh, so I just think that it needs to adapt, but mm. the universities need to stay hard uh, because Otherwise, everyone could afford them and it would not be like a privilege to have a diploma uh, or something. Because this is the same with, uh, uh, we have the high school diplomas in the Czech Republic, if I compare it to the Western reality. And now, and for my parents, uh, it was something that they had to really hard work hard for to achieve it. Nowadays, mm. everyone has it. So you don't mm. count it as a as some kind of an achievement. Everybody can has, has this. So um, for me, uh, I think yeah, universities will still play a key role. And we see some adaptations to, I don't know, Industry 4.0, uh, Augmented Reality. They mm -hmm. are bringing new things. They are, or do you also have to think about the research which they are doing, not just about educating uh, the people. But for sure, it ha you have to learn the stuff uh, yourself in a normal way, I would say, and then you can leverage what you have in your head and use your phone. 
Got it. So I think the, the learning can be done in any forum. It's the challenging and stretching the mind has is is we, we usually need other people to do that for us whether it's in a sports arena or it's in in a, in a in a mental game we need others to push us more than we go ourselves is what i'm hearing i'm hearing a kind of a there's a, a, the the universities as you describe it are to the mind what climbing trees are to the body yeah and well and of course you cannot talk about all of the universities like this because for example I don't want a surgeon with a mobile phone in in his hand <laughs> looking you know so maybe this, maybe this could be valid for IT because you saw a lot of uh, great successful people uh, in the past uh, like Bill Gates or I don't know Mark Zuckerberg who skipped universities and they did mm. it but they had some good idea and some programming skills um, so there are, of course, some exceptions, but otherwise, it's it's absolutely necessary mm. to keep it. Yeah, we're, we're almost coming up on time, Erislav. Tell mm. me just a little bit about what you do to relax and unwind when you're not working. Well, um, one relaxing thing, of course, is reading. Uh, but uh, what is really important for me is uh, running. Uh, I did uh, I did so many kinds of different sports like uh, football. I did some kickboxing, which was also interesting uh, to release some steam. But uh, recently, in the recent years, it's 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 mostly running. Uh, that uh, I go outside. It's I don't have to rely on anybody. I just you know change my clothes and go outside anytime I want. Uh, it clears my head. It brings an oxygen to my head. So I usually have good ideas mm. when I'm running. Uh, so for this is one thing for relax, uh, of course, vacation, traveling and so on. But there is one surprising thing, uh, maybe. Uh, I am a fan of extreme metal music. So, yeah, this is this originated when I was like, I don't know, it started uh, at 12. I started with Metallica and stuff like that. But then it went harder, harder, harder. And Metallica wasn't extreme enough for you. Absolutely not. This is, you know. Uh, so, but, uh, currently, and maybe it's it's visible over here. I have some vinyls yes. here in the uh, in, in the shelf, and usually it's like um, I don't know how much how you know. Usually it's not very generic. It's not the general knowledge, but I listen to uh, black metal and death metal music and and so on. So it's it's really the most extreme stuff which you cannot even probably imagine. But here's what here's my confusion was yeah. about. You use you put the word music into that sentence, and that's what I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it is actually <laughs> no, no, yeah, because y you know, you if you hear it right now, it's it sounds like a noise. Yeah. I had to work through different bands, like through Metallica, I don't know, Rammstein at that time, uh, and then go harder, harder to, to f discover some uh, Norwegian guys who did this in the 90s, especially, and in early 2000s, and then switch further away. And what is interesting, that when I go to concerts, if there is something, um, I usually meet older people than I am. It's very calm. Everybody, you know, usually... When I go when I go with my friends, usually they are some kind of a programmers or something that 
it's 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 interesting how how this for example this subculture is being viewed as some kind of a guys who go into a fight and do a mosh pit in front of the stage or something like that but it's actually very nice and calm in a way Be maybe because all the anger in the music and all the evil stuff which they i don't know sing about that releases the steam from you mm. so i had the opportunity to go on a concert uh, two months ago uh despite you know there, there were some there was some easing of the uh, regulations and it helped me so much to re release the stress to just listen to this because i found specific melodies in this kind of a music uh that you track you don't listen to the drums which are usually something like 600 beats per minute but you listen to the specific track of a guitar and it it pushes it forces your brain away to some kind of a melancholy and and so on it's really interesting I must say. Have you, for anybody listening to this who'd like to go and sample that, have you got a recommendation? Uh, it depends on, on everyone's style. There are some really good bands, but uh, for example, um, recently I discovered quite a lot of uh, post black metal bands which originated from black metal and they are, for example, using saxophone in the music as well and more melancholy and more atmospherical uh, things so i am uh, interestingly enough it's the being now quite successful in ukraine for example so i got some ukrainian uh, albums there is a band called white ward uh, i met with them even personally in hungary so we are you know somehow connected usually these are small small bands which are not very well known these people don't do it as a job they have it as on the side. They are some factory workers or, or, or something. And uh, so White Ward is an interesting one for me as a, a recommendation. Mm. From Ukraine, there is a band called 1914. They are uh, the, the theme of their music is uh, from the First World War, which fits to the mm. noise and everything, as you say. Yeah. Or there is, uh, there is a Canadian band called Panzerfaust like the Panzerfaust from, from German times, you know? So there are so many interesting yeah. uh, bands which are all around the world. There are some interesting ones in the UK as well, uh, which is, for example, there is a death metal band called Ingested in, from Manchester. Uh, but uh, I don't know any Irish bands though, but there will be some, I need to check. I'm sure there are somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's not often that I speak about this because you don't you don't if you look at me you don't perceive me as a metalhead you know uh, so it's just uh, something which uh, I have mm. as a hidden identity basically. Well, what it does, Mirsav, it speaks to the idea that you should never judge a book by a cover. That you should always try to get to know somebody because you never know what's what's beneath the surface. We all wear this mask when we meet people. And that when you get behind it a little bit and get to know the person and what they like and what motivates them and what inspires them, what you always, always, always find is something fascinating, really, really interesting. And I have found you fascinating today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, like it's, and it's one of the reasons why I do these is that you can get to know somebody mm. at, at, at a different level than you can when you just meet somebody casually. Um, a couple of very final quick questions for you before I let you go. Um, your house is burning down. Your family are safe. 
your phone is safe and and your your album well maybe i shouldn't include that because but my question is if you had to run back in and rescue one item from the house assuming that your family and pets are safe what would it be oh that's a tough one uh i think probably some yeah i would say maybe something sentimental from my childhood probably so you know there was there was a card game uh in the past uh, well it's still active now which was called uh, magic the gathering and these are uh these are fantasy playing cards and they are getting up in value a lot so maybe probably that one you could compare it with the with the album of stamps uh just to take this out mm. but it's because it provides a lot of nostalgia um and it it's increasing in value so that's mm. that's one thing because but if i have to answer really quickly because if if my family is safe uh if my house is burning down there is nothing to grab i have everything safe and i'm happy you know, so I don't have much money laying around the house that I would need to pick up. So okay. <laughs> I don't know. Did you have better uh, answers to this question? No, it, you know what? I will say most, and there's no better. There's most people will say, like you said, is that, you know, I don't really have any possessions that can't be replaced. Right. And the ones, obviously, your family, they can't be. Yeah. They're fine. Most people don't. Occasionally, you'll get somebody that uh, there's something of, high sentimental value that mm -hmm. it, you could rescue it that just can't be replaced i have one which is a, a camera that my grandfather bought in france after the first world war i've never i never met the man but it inspired i loved playing with him when i was a child and I, my mother gave it mm -hmm. to me before she died and it inspired my interest in photography so it's it's more than just an object it's a connection with the past and that can't be replaced, even though it's not worth, I mean, I've looked at their eBay, it's an old Kodak camera, you could probably get it for $35 on eBay, you know, at the same model. But I would run back in and grab that if I could, no question, because it just can't be replaced. And buying the same one on eBay just wouldn't, wouldn't be the same, because it's not, this is the camera he bought. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah. It's it's kind of a similar to my answer then because this this these cards remind me of my childhood. Whenever I look at them, I f I see, I picture myself in these times when we were playing it as a as kids. Uh, and you know, it's a it time machine for you then in in in, in a way. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you can't. But I just rem I just remembered when we met uh, in in Dublin. You had a Leica and you were doing this. Uh, black and white photography it just popped up in my head yeah 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 still doing that and in fact what i've done is i don't have it on me but and i bought a like a film camera because mm -hmm. again and it's not about you know the, the digital is so much more convenient but there's something special and i and i can't i can't describe what it is maybe it's a nostalgia Maybe it's the fact that it forces you to slow down, that when you've got 36 frames on a film, you have to think really hard, do I want this photograph or not? And if I'm going to take it, that I've optimized it some way. Whereas with digital, you just shoot, 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 shoot. Nobody thinks too hard about it. And so that's part of it. But also, so the slowing down and, and, and the thinking through the process is different. There's no question about that. But there's also then when you send off the film, like I had three rolls of, four rolls of film, uh, and I got developed recently. There's a company in Germany do it, and 
So you buy the film from them and then you send it back to them and they, they'll, they'll scan it and send you the, the digital files and then the regional negatives. But I had to wait several months because I don't shoot a lot of film. But, so I had, mm -hmm. I had pictures going back that I took during the summer. And it's almost like when they arrive, there's an excitement. It's like Christmas Day again as like a kid. And so there's a delayed gratification with that as well. So there's a lot of kind of the benefits people don't often think about. And uh, mm -hmm. so, but yeah, so that's, that's my thing. Um, but that's why, uh, again, I, f I feel a similarity with, uh, with vinyls. That's why I have vinyls. I don't, I am not uh, paying for Spotify, for example. I can't listen, listen anything anytime in a good quality. But the vinyl, if I, if I put on the record, it's, it's some kind of a ritual for me. It brings some, some additional value, something mm -hmm. not just, not nostalgic, because this is kind of a new for me. We had it, my parents had it, but of course this is my music. But again, it provides something, something extra, something on top. And it's the same with, if I would be using a film camera, I know that I have a limited uh, amount of photos which I can take. I would not take uh, 20 times the same photo just because I don't want somebody to blink uh, mm. on that one. Uh, I, fully, I fully understand. Mm. It's much nicer. It's much more uh, like back to roots in mm. a way. Final question, Miroslav. Yeah. When your time on the planet is done and whatever happens next, you're heading off into the abyss or maybe some other cosmos, um, how would you like to be remembered? Uh, uh, well, yeah, for sure. I, 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 as, a good, as a good person, that's the, that's the first thing. I don't want to be in the memories as somebody who did something wrong, which uh, is, I hope it's not that hard to, to be a good person. Uh, and I want to be remembered as, some, as a person who achieved uh, something. Like, for example, making an impact uh, with my own uh, company uh, or doing something great. Uh, so basically, it's, it's maybe a bad comparison, but if, if somebody writes a book about you or writes uh, uh, a Wikipedia article, which you don't write, anyone can write it, but if you have your own page because you achieved something. Mm. So mm. this is how I want to be remembered as a, as a good person, as a good father. Uh, I want my kids to look up to me. Uh, I, hope, I hope that uh, we can achieve that, but let's see. So yeah, like this. That I, ha yeah, I would leave with the feeling that I didn't waste my time. Miroslav Korn, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's an absolute honor, privilege, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed our chat. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Paul, and I really enjoyed it as well. Thanks for everything. You made me think about uh, some things uh, which I haven't thought before, so it was really u even useful, I could say, for me, not just uh, a fun 